Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I hope your heart is full. I hope you're ready to engage. I think the Lord has something for us. And uh, with that in mind, I want to start with a question. And here's the question. If you knew you were going to be hurt and did not know it, would you want to be rescued? I want you to read that a few times, just quietly, right where you are. If you knew you were going to, you were going to be hurt but didn't know uh, when it was going to happen, would you want to be rescued? I want you to read that quietly three times. I know some people are readers like me, and it takes a little bit. That's fine. When I first asked the Lord into my life uh, as a teenager, I was really excited for Jesus. Ugh, man, I, I, I just, I knew two things. I knew that Jesus saved me, and I knew that this was God's word. Those were the two things I knew. I didn't even know John 3.16. had no idea where that, that was even in the Bible. Um, but I was excited. I was excited. And one day I was at a basketball game at our high school, and I was talking to a friend who had seen a change in me and wanted to talk a little bit about Jesus. And so I thought, well, yeah, that's great. Well, I'll talk, tell you about him. And I knew this friend, uh, kind of a rough character. And, and so what I'm about to tell you is not a suggestion or a method of evangelism. Uh, what, I am, what I am telling you is just fact. Like, this is just what happened. Not proud of it, not happy about it. Uh, but I'm going to share it with you. And here's what happened. I, I was sharing with him, and because uh, of who he was, I thought he would hear it better if I just started swearing in it. So I, I was just cussing as I was telling, telling the gospel. I mean, just think about, uh, that's not bright. Okay, I received that. Um, but I'm, I'm cussing. Well, anyways, one of my friends who is a little bit more, uh, he was an older believer uh, he saw what was happening, and he pulled me off to the side, and he goes, you know, Kenny, uh, I want to talk to you about crass language. Not because um, I think you're a bad person, but because the Bible talks about it. And he opened up the Bible, and he showed me where talked about crass language, and then he said, you know, here's the thing. If you, if you keep talking like that when you're sharing the gospel, people aren't going to hear you. That is not God's plan. I was immediately convicted because it was in the Word, and I recognized what I had done wrong. And the reason I share that is, is because uh, I, was, uh, I was going to be hurt, and I needed someone to rescue me. The picture that I think of is this. Someone standing in the middle of the street, and there's a very big bus coming down the street. And there are people on the sidewalk, and the person is standing on the street looking at the people on the sidewalk, oblivious to what's going on around them. And the person on the sidewalk is yelling, going, hey, there's a bus coming. You're going to want to move. Like, like that's, that's kind, right? But the person doesn't move. They just stand there. No, I'm fine. They can go around me. They just stand there. You would think that someone who cared would run from the sidewalk and get pushed them out of the way, right? Like, that would be the kind thing to do. But you're going to get injured in that. I mean, you're going to get scruffed up or scuffed up from the ground, and, uh, you, you know, you might tear your skin. You might, all kinds of things could happen. But at least you're alive. And that's the word picture that I see from a culture that is barreling down the street 
and is willing to run over anybody who's standing on the street. We're in Romans chapter 1. I want to encourage you to go ahead and turn there. I I will have it up on the screen, but if you have it in your Bibles, I I love the Word of God, friends, and, and I love it when we can open up the Scriptures, we can highlight and underline things. That's very important. Never, ever, ever cross things out. That's super bad. You don't want to do that. But you can underline and highlight stuff. It's really important. And in uh, in Romans chapter 1, uh, we're going to be talking about a variety of things. And I want to set the stage a little bit. And so it, here's what happened. Jesus, just before he ascended to heaven after the resurrection, he met with his disciples. And when he met with them, here's what he said. He said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus tells him just before he goes. So we know it's very important. It's like the last things that he's telling his disciples. We know it's very important. Historically, as we look back, we know that it's important because that's what the church did. They went and made disciples of all nations, and they baptized them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the word baptism is kind of a unique word. Uh, We often think of it, and we could maybe translate it even immerse. That's a good word for baptism. But the practice of the day was this. If you went in and you said, you know, I really would like a purple cloak. You would go to a person who had dye, and they would put that dye in a vat, and you would bring your your cloak, and they would stick it in that vat, and with a large stick, they'd swirl it around, they'd pull it up, and they'd say, is this purple enough? Has this been baptized enough for you? And they'd go, yeah, that's, that's what I want. Okay. So when Jesus says what he says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there are several connotations. One of those connotations is just what I said that we are being immersed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are being transformed from the inside out to appear more like God, not that we ever become God, not that we replace God, but rather we look more and more like Jesus because we're identifying with him. Now, here's the the issue. Early on, Christianity was a Jewish movement, it was a mono-ethnic movement, and it appeared that way. People looked like Jews in the Middle East. However, uh, very soon after the resurrection, there were others who started hearing the gospel and responded. Those others were not Jews. They're sometimes referred to as Gentiles. Now, they came from different backgrounds. And those backgrounds, they were, they were um, very diverse, In some cases, they were servants. In other cases, they were slaves. In other cases, they were wealthy. In other cases, they were business people. In other cases, they were Romans. And in other cases, they weren't. And so the church, the face of the church, starts to look different. Along with that are the values of the cultures and the people that are starting to receive Jesus as their Savior. There's a diversity in background. So what do we do? How do we continue to be one? Uh, How do we continue to walk forward? And what they said is, we follow Jesus. And what Jesus told us was make disciples. What he told us was baptize them. What he told us was teach them to obey. And that's what the church began to do. And so, one of the identifiers 
of early Christianity was baptism. Still that case today. Now, baptism is not that, it, you know, like, we're not saved because we're baptized. We get baptized because we're saved. And we want to identify with Jesus. And that's the symbol, right? We're dead to sin and death, alive in Christ. Dead to sin and death, alive in Christ. That's the word picture that we see. In other words, the old has gone, the new has come. What is that? That is Jesus. Jesus' life in my life. I'm identifying with this Jesus and I'm following him. And that's what baptism is. And that's what happened in the early church. And what that meant, though, is that they were saying, it could be that I'm going to die for my faith. Because what I am saying about my faith is dynamically different than what the culture says is good. The culture says I need to worship Caesar. Jesus says I need to worship him. Uh, The culture says anything goes. If it feels good, great. But Jesus has some guidelines. And the creator God has given us these guidelines on purpose. Like if we want to understand what the function of a, it could be anything, it could be a video game, it could be a board game, it could be a tool, it could be, uh, I mean, everything has directions, but where do we get the directions? Uh, We get the directions from the creator of that. Like they know, they understand the function of it. And so doesn't it make sense that early on the church said, you know what, we're going to get our directions, how we function from God. And that's found in his word. And what I'm saying is just like today, there is this bus that was coming down the road. And anything that's in the road, that bus is going to demolish and kill. And the best thing that we can do is go to the creator who gave us his word, who shares with us, who tells us how to function, who shows us what that function looks like, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow him. That's the, that's the reality of where we're at. In Romans chapter 1, there's going to be a phrase. And this phrase can be very difficult to understand. The phrase is wrath of God. And like, okay, here it comes. Kenny's getting out the Bible. He's going to thump me with the scriptures. That's not the intention. What the intention is to do, though, is if you're standing in the street, we're going to yell. And, and we may have to push. But we don't want you to get run over. Oh, we want life. And we want that abundant life that Christ called us to. So we're going to go to the Word to see that. The, the term that is being used is the wrath of God. So what do we know about the wrath of God? I, I'm going to uh, just give a, a, a quick identifier. And then I'm going to look at a quote from uh, Got Questions Ministries. Uh, here's the identifier. The wrath of God starts always with separation from God. Separation from God. Okay, so it happens in small ways right now, and we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment, but it also happens in big ways and ultimate ways. The ultimate way that the wrath of God is realized is in a place called, it's eternal separation from God in a place called hell. A real place. A place that Jesus identifies as great weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place that we don't want to spend time. We don't want to log hours in that place. And so God has given us a plan. And part of that plan is to warn us that there is a wrath. And that wrath is ultimate one day. 
We experience it in part now, but there is the possibility of experiencing it incomplete if we reject Jesus. So with that in mind, I want to give you a few quotes from uh, Got Questions Ministries uh, that are it's very helpful in understanding the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a divine response to human sin and disobedience, remembering that God set things in motion in the garden. He knew what was good and what was evil. And he wanted Adam and Eve to follow him in that place. Let me tell you what is good and what is evil. But Eve said, no, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I think I can do this myself. And Adam and Eve participated by taking of the fruit and thereby redefining what they believed was good and evil. The separation begins there. And that's the idea in that first statement. Followed by this. Idolatry was most often the occasion of divine wrath. And there's some scriptures you can see it. Uh, found there. Additionally, God's wrath against sin and disobedience is perfectly justified. God's not mean in doing it. He's allowing for us to choose. Will I choose to follow God and his favor, or will I choose to do my own thing, to redefine good and evil and the consequences thereof? My choice, stand in the road or don't. Because his plan for mankind is holy and perfect, just as God himself is holy and perfect. God provided a way to gain divine favor. That's through repentance, which turns God's wrath away from the sinner. To reject that perfect plan is to reject God's love, mercy, grace, and favor, and incur his righteous wrath. So, God has a plan, and that is favor. How do I get that favor? Well, I'm walking towards sin and death, and I choose to follow God and how he defines right and wrong. That's repentance. I'm, I'm convinced mentally that this is wrong. Spiritually as well, I turn towards God. Not towards another uh, um, habit or hang-up, but rather I'm turning towards God. God provides that ultimately at the cross. Uh, that that uh, ultimate repentance and a way to be connected with God. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We see this in the New Testament, so the discussion of the wrath of God is still there. The one who believes in the Son will not suffer God's wrath for his sin, because the Son took God's wrath when he died in our place on the cross. Uh, that's good news. That's really good news. And finally, those who do not believe in the Son, who do not receive him as Savior, will be judged on the day of wrath, that ultimate day of separation uh, from God. Again, our choice. Will we come to the side and follow God, or will we stand in the road with uh, with oncoming traffic? So, We're going to be in Romans chapter 1, and I'd like to just walk through this together. We're going to look at, uh, first of all, how the wrath of God is revealed. We're going to look at the reasons for the wrath of God, and we're going to look at repercussions uh, of the wrath of God. And so here we see it. First of all, it's against ungodliness and righteousness. It's unrighteousness. It's very focused. Secondly, because God is knowable but ignored. God is knowable. I'm going to throw out a Bible term for you. It's called general revelation. General revelation is this, that we can know that there is a God because of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, we find out in Psalm 19. 
But throughout uh, creation, we recognize there is a God. If there is a creation, there must be a creator. And we recognize that uh, in, in simple terms. Additionally, we can identify that throughout the world, sociologically speaking, there has never been a culture that we're aware of that has naturally been an atheist culture. What I'm telling you is this, that every culture that has existed has started with the belief that there is a God because there is a general revelation, there must be something bigger than us that created us and put us there. Let's look at the scriptures now. Romans 1, 18 and 19. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Pause there. They have rejected God and God's plan. Not just that. But they don't want other people to know it either. We're going to suppress the truth. You know, that's, that's, kind, of, uh, that's kind of archaic thinking that you have. That would be an example of suppressing the truth. Uh, That's archaic. Oh, that's silly. Wait a minute. You believe that somebody rose from the grave? Okay. That's suppressing the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. The heavens declare the glory of God. Creation identifies that there is a God. Listen, I hear this all the time from people. This happens especially from guys. Uh, When I'm closest to God is when I'm out in the woods or when I'm fishing or hunting. And I'm like, cool, great. Be close with God there. Also come to church. That's another place you can be close with God there. Uh, You can do both. They're not mutually exclusive. So... um, There is that reality. Uh, God reveals himself. So it's against ungodliness and unrighteousness. Sometimes that happens uh, at the large level, nationwide. Sometimes nations deal with this. Sometimes it's individual. And why is that? Because God is knowable and ignored. So let's look at this reasons for the wrath. First of all, it's not glorifying the creator. So there is a responsibility that we have to glorify God, to give thanks to God for being God, and for glorifying the creation. Let's look at this in Scripture. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Okay, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Keep that in mind as we go to this next part. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened because they never started with wisdom. They never started with knowledge because that begins, that foundation begins with the fear of the Lord. Not a shuddering, but a respect, a holy respect for God. There's a God who created us and he loved us enough to create us and put us in a world of his creation. What an amazing God. Not just that, but we blew it. We messed up. And that God of creation was willing to come down and become creation and give, a, and, and give himself as a price for our sin. He died that we could have life. And he rose from the grave and gives life to anybody who would call on him. It's an amazing truth, worth giving thanks. And their foolish hearts were darkened. 
Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The ancient days in Rome and throughout the Roman Empire and really throughout world history, there were these idols. Usually they were carved sometimes out of wood, sometimes out of stone. They were little idols and they they would look like people sometimes. Sometimes they looked like animals or some sort of blend. And uh, they were worshipped. Well, to us... In our days, that sounds silly. That sounds ridiculous. But we do the same thing in different ways. The foundation is still the same, and that is worshiping creation rather than the creator. Worshiping creation rather than the creator. It happens in the form of worshiping ourselves, of of giving praise and honor to ourselves, to the exclusion of God, or those things that we celebrate around us without God. It happens often. Thirdly, the repercussions of the wrath of God. First of all, they're handed over to the lusts of their hearts. They're handed over to dishonorable passions. They're handed over to a depraved mind. Now I want to talk about that for a second. And this is, this is a little bit tricky. Here's the situation. Uh, God is not forcing us into a box, and he's not making us do something we don't, we don't want to do. But there is this point where we have decisions to make. I'm going to push pause on that conversation and come to this one. Without verbalizing, in fact, I would say it this way, I don't think that I've ever met anyone who has been willing to verbalize the darkest thought they've ever had. We always come up short when we talk about those sorts of things. But the literal darkest thought that we've ever had. I'm thankful that we don't talk about those things. That, that should stay, like, crucify that thing, get it away. But imagine if we had freedom to act on it. Imagine if everybody did the darkest thing they, they thought. That's scary. And that's where we're going. Uh, That's what this means. Hand it over. Okay, I've tried. Now you're responsible. This happens with kids. How many times, so I'm a parent, I have seven kids, love my kids. Uh, Being a dad, sometimes these kids would cry for things that I knew would not help them. In fact, it might hurt them. The worst thing I could do as a dad at times was give them what they wanted. Do you know that's true? You, You all have experienced that, right? But it's true with God, too. Sometimes we get to this point where God goes, okay, have at it. If that's what you're going to do, but there are going to be consequences. The bus is coming down the street, and if you're not careful, you're going to get hit by it. That's what this is about, the repercussions. So let's look at it, starting in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, God has a plan. There is good and there is evil. God has this plan and they say, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to redefine what that is. I'm going to choose what is good and evil without a foundation of the fear of the Lord, without standing on the truth of God's word. They've redefined what is good and what is evil. Watch what happens. For this reason, God gave them up 
to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. Again, that's, that's like a bad thinking. They were filled with all manner of. Now, I, I want to pause there because what is about to happen in this passage is we're going to see a spreading. There, is, there are um, some specific activity that the scripture identifies as unnatural. We'll come back to that in a moment. But then also, there are going to be some attitudes of the heart that come out that identify a separation from God. Look at these. <coughs> they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Look, along with murder, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. What am I saying? I'm saying that these are some attitudes of those who have decided, I'm going to redefine what is good and evil. And when God turns us over to our own, uh, uh, to our own doings, what we believe is right and wrong... This is the fruit of that. Though they know God's righteous decree that these who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, they're celebrating uh, this behavior and this sin. This is problematic. And it's tough. Because I recognize that there is a bus, and it's coming down the road of our culture And it's knocking a lot of people out. It's killing a lot of people. And we may be in this place where, and and I just want to be real clear. What we're seeing from the scriptures is that the act of homosexuality is called sin. Uh, that's, That's what the scripture is telling us. The act of homosexuality is sin. And I recognize that there are some problems, right? I mean, there's, there are abuses. Sociologically, they've been able to do these studies. They recognize, okay, there are abuses that have occurred in some people, and there's imprinting. And now with the issue of pornography and the, accessible, the accessibility of pornography and first-time views of that pornography, that imprinting has impacted the sexual behavior of a whole culture, saying what is bad, what is unnatural, is good. And what the Bible is telling us is that's not right. It's not right for the abuse that occurred, and it's not right for the behavior that has come. It's not okay. If we stand in the street, we'll get run over by the bus. I'm standing on the sidewalk, and I'm yelling out, not because I want to be mean, not because I want to be homophobic, not because I hate, but because I love you and because this is God's word. And we have a whole loud culture that's screaming, it's okay. It's okay to redefine good and evil. It's okay to do whatever feels good. But the maker, the creator, has put together 
how we function, how we work, what is good and what is evil. And in his words, that's not good. That's sin. And we have a responsibility. That doesn't mean we don't love. Of course, that's ex- of course we love. Of course we care. Of course we empathize. Of course we give opportunities. But what we do also is we recognize that uh, that, is, that is not okay practice for the believer. So what do we do? Well, let's start at the foundation. We started in verse 18, but 18 is preceded with 16 and 17. You like how I did the math there real quick? Just in my head, I did that. If we look at verse 16 and 17, this is what it says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news. Starts with the bad news. We're sinners. We need a savior. God came in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He, ex- he rose from the grave and extends life to anybody who would call on him. That's the good news. If you call on him, you, you have victory. You don't have the consequences of the wrath of God. You get the favor of God. And then it goes on to say, for it is the power of God. That word power is where we get the word dynamite. If, you're, if, if, you, want to, if you want to use a visual, it's like that. Uh, there's an obstacle in the way, and this power ex- has explosive ability to remove that obstacle. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean that that obstacle won't come back, but it has that ability. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Starts with the gospel. Sometimes I I, I think we want to uh, go to the actions and behaviors. Even when we're talking, I identified disobedient to parents as one. Uh, Oh, that doesn't seem like as big of a deal as murder, but it's on that same list. Um. It's really an attitude of the heart that we're addressing, right? Starts with the gospel. Years ago, um, my my uncle, uh, his name is Brad. Uh, Brad came out and he said, uh, "I have lived a homosexual lifestyle, and in the mid '90s, he had contracted AIDS or HIV, and it it, it uh, developed into AIDS. In the mid '90s, they didn't have." the medication they have today, and it was a death sentence, and he knew it. And Brad called me, and he said, um, Kenny, I, I have about a year to live, and I just want to come out and visit with you. I, I need to talk to you. So, well, of course, Brad, you come on out. And so I'm praying, right? Like, what do I say to this guy who, uh, and I'll just tell you, he had a tough life. Uh, many of his friends died of AIDS. He Watched them die. And if you've never seen it, if you've, if you've never been a part of it, this person just, just like disintegrates in front of you. And it's heartbreaking. And he saw that multiple times, multiple times, and he knew what was going to happen. So I'm praying, God, I don't know what to say to, I don't know what to, say to Brad. Would you give me words? And so Brad comes over and I said, Brad, what's on your mind? He goes, eternity. I said, thank you, Jesus. He said, well, let's talk about that. And we started talking about Scripture and the Bible, and immediately he wants to defend stuff, right? I want to defend this behavior. I want to defend my lifestyle. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think we need to go there. That's not the point. Brad, let me ask you a different question. 
have you ever sinned? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, well, so have I. And that's the bad news. We walk through the gospel identifying that sin separates us from God, that Jesus can connect us to God and give us life. Brad took it all in, went to worship with us that weekend. It was a great time. He didn't receive Jesus that day, but just before he died, about a month before he died, he received Jesus as his Savior. I'm going to get to see Brad in heaven one day. Why? Because it starts with this. Like, we don't, I think sometimes we're wasting time trying to convince of the behavior. Let, you know what? Let's start with the gospel. That's where we begin. We start with the gospel. Because I want to honor God, I want to please God with my behavior. I gave you an illustration earlier, and my friend walked up to me, and he opens up the scripture, and he shows me where my behavior didn't match what the scripture says. Oh, man. Well, I want, I want to do that different. Yeah, <laughs> you probably should, Kenny. Okay. And that's what I'm saying in this situation. It starts with a, a transformation, not behavior modification. And so I also recognize that even in a crowd this size, that this may be a struggle for some people even in this room. Could be. And you know what? I, I want to say this. Would we be willing to offer to God a sacrifice? And that sacrifice is suffering. Because as I went over, uh, let me go back to that list. As I went over these things, each of us, it's probably a default in there. I struggle with that one. I struggle with that one. I struggle with that one. And maybe for all of us in this room, it's a little different. And what I'm suggesting in this place is, is just that, that. Let's go to the gospel. Let's deal with it. But my heart struggles I have to pause and go, God, you know how bad I want to do this thing. You know how bad I, 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 I feel like I need to do this thing even. Lord, I'm giving it to you. As one who came in the flesh, as one who died and who gave his sacrifice to the Father, I'm suggesting that we do the same. Recognizing that these things are difficult. Oh, they're not easy. Good, and God honors them. And maybe if we would be willing to let the power of the gospel settle in, those obstacles will explode one step at a time. I'm not telling you to be thinking about, okay, for the next 40 years, then that means this. Next 60 years, that means this. I'm saying today, right now, it means this. And then tomorrow, when we're in tomorrow, let's say it means this. Now let's take it one moment at a time, one day at a time, stepping in faith. And watch and see what God will do. The early church had these same struggles. They were written to the early church. And in that place, the early church had, had to make some decisions. And in some cases, it was walking away from relationships. In other cases, it was no longer identifying with groups. But rather saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. And I'm going to identify as a believer and that may cost me my life, but I'm willing to give my life to offer it as a sacrifice to God. That's what I want to do. The worship team's going to be coming. And as the worship team comes out, uh, I, I want to encourage us to pause and to consider a couple of things. One 
is the Lord calling you to be baptized today? Is it like, you know what? I need to identify with Jesus. Despite what's going on, I hear, I've been standing in the middle of the road, and I need to go to the sidewalk. I need to follow Jesus, and I'm going to do that. But here's the problem, Kenny. Uh, I didn't bring anything else. Not even a towel. Cool. We got a towel for you. We'll take care of that for you. We even have a dryer in the back. We'll dry it for you. Whatever we need to do. Don't, let, let's not let anything get in our way. Let's take those steps of faith. This is a natural place for us to move into a time of offering. That this offering is spiritual. And this offering is an act of worship. Not just in giving of finances, but a, a reiteration of I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you be willing to do that? I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, if you need to make your way uh, over here to Pastor Art, Pastor Art would be happy to talk to you about baptism. Uh, I'm going to pray as the worship team comes and leads us in our offering uh, with the ushers coming forward. Jesus, we love you, and we praise you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would be glorified and honored in the things that we do and in the things that we say. These are hard words. And Lord, probably for most everyone in this room, we recognize friends and family members who have these struggles. And we're asking, O Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in this place. We're asking, O Lord, that you would receive our offering, that it is ourselves given to you, that you would be glorified and that you would be honored. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.